For those of you who may not know, my name is Derek. I'm one of the associate pastors here. We're going to continue on through our series in Genesis. We've been in here for a few months. We took a little break for Easter and a couple weeks after that, but we are jumping back in this morning. I want to start, before we really jump into the passage before us this morning, by telling you just a story of a successful businessman who was coming to the end of his career, and he was trying to figure out how how he was going to choose his successor. He decided to go ahead and do it this way. He would call all his young executives into a, a room. He actually did this, and he gave them all a seed that they were to plant and bring back a year later, and then he would compare what they have grown with that seed, and then choose the next CEO, his successor, based on the results, based on the results of that. So at this meeting, there was a a man named Jim. He received this seed, and he he immediately went and bought a pot for it, got some soil, diligently watered it the first few days, and continued to do this the first few weeks, but, but nothing really ever happened to his seed. It just was a pot of dirt. And he began to get more discouraged, especially as a lot of his colleagues that were in that meeting came back and said, oh, my, my plant's growing fine. I've got this really pretty flower. I've got this other bush. I've got, you know, I've got all sorts of stuff growing out of, a, out of these, these pots. And he's, he's just wondering, what, what did I do? How did I kill my seed already? And so he, a few months go by, still nothing. And, you know, he, he just knew he, he had somehow killed the plant. However, somehow he did it. And, you know, he talked to his wife, and his wife tried to encourage him. And the year came up, the meeting where they, everybody was bringing their, their little plants to the CEO. And so Jim wasn't going to bring his because what was the point? But his wife encouraged him just to go be honest. You know, you never know what might happen, and I'm sure he'll forgive you, that sort of thing. And so they get to the meeting, and everybody's got their different plants and things. And, and so Jim tried to hide in the back. The CEO gets up front and looks out and, and sees all of those things and says, wow, I mean, this is amazing. Like, you guys, you guys grew some really crazy stuff. There are lots of different colors and things. And then he spots Jim in the back, and he says, Jim, Jim, come on forward. And, of course, Jim was uh, a little bit terrified and embarrassed, and so he brought his pot up, and the CEO asked what happened. And Jim explained, well, I tried. You know, I, I thought I knew what I was doing. I'm you know, no, no plant expert, but I thought I could at least water and get some, something to sprout. And the CEO looked at Jim and then said, all right, Jim, you are the next CEO of the company. And Jim was like, just in shock, and as were everybody else in the room, and they were kind of mad and stuff. And the CEO explained then why he chose Jim. The reason, because he, a year before, had given everybody a seed, but he had given everyone a boiled seed that could not grow anything. And so what had happened, everybody else had kind of run into the same situation as Jim, but had responded differently and thought, oh, well, I'll put another seed in there and see if it grows. And because they thought theirs was dead and they had killed it. So they kind of tried to cheat the system, but obviously it didn't work out. So the moral of the story, the moral of this simple illustration is that this principle in life of reaping and sowing, we will reap what we sow. There are consequences to our actions. We all know this, and we're going to talk about this a little bit today. Really, even the the consequences both on the good side, kind of on the reward side, and the consequences on the negative side. You know, we think about if we're unkind to somebody, and we just live a life of anger and bitterness towards everyone, 
often people respond in in a like way to us. And if we are are generous, we love others, we serve them, and we we live in a selfless way, most of the time people reciprocate that to some level. And this is not talking about the uh, karma, where, where kind of the sum of your good actions and your bad actions kind of result in, you know, circumstances in your life to come or the life after that. And it's not any of that. This is the principle that's talked about in scripture and illustrated specifically in today's story of reaping and sowing based on your actions. We're going to see today as we look at the story of Jacob, um, Jacob and Laban, that Jacob is going to reap what he has sown in his life. He has sowed some seeds of deceit, um, lying, cheating, dysfunction of all kinds, and they're going to come back to haunt him. And and I'll be honest with you, the story today, we're going to read through some of it. We're going to just summarize and kind of quickly walk through some, but it's it's wacky. You know, it's one of those stories in the Bible you're kind of like, God, like, why did you why did you put this in here? Why did you put this in here? But I want us to look at it in a little bit of detail over these next few minutes and see what we can learn from it. And if nothing else, it'll help you feel like, well, I thought my family was dysfunctional. Well, this this I'm not too bad compared to Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. And they, the title of today's sermon is this: the dysfunction continues. A few weeks ago, Pastor Michael preached a sermon about Isaac's dysfunctional family. And Jacob today that we'll talk about is Isaac's son. Isaac was the son of Abraham. Abraham was the the man that God chose to kind of birth his his special people um, into the world, the nation of Israel. And we'll kind of see how that all takes place um, in our passages today. But really what we're going to learn over these next few minutes is that God can use messy situations. He can use complicated stories of, of people's sinful actions, and that is going to remind us of, of his grace and mercy and how he chooses to still use those people even in spite of that. And I, ho- I hope today encourages you, even, even though it is going to be kind of a weird, dysfunctional story, but we can be reminded that even in the midst of those messy situations, God can still use us. Many of you may be going through or have gone through challenging situations in life. Some of them may have been brought on by your own actions. Some of them may have been brought on by the actions of others. But we all go through things. We live in a sinful, fallen world where there's pain and hurt, sickness and disease, and, and God is at work in the midst of even those things. So last week, Pastor Michael set us up in Genesis by talking about chapter 28, which was uh, the story of Jacob starting this journey to find a wife. His parents had sent him off because, frankly, they, they were kind of scared for his life. He, Jacob had just deceived his older brother Esau, and Esau was pretty ticked because now he didn't have the birthright. Jacob had stolen that from him, and he was pretty mad and probably would have killed Jacob had Jacob stayed around much longer. So his parents sent him off to some distant relatives 500 miles away. The families really hadn't even interacted and over around 100 years. And obviously they didn't have Facebook or anything like that, so they, they hadn't really kept up with each other. So we're going to kind of see as he's on this journey, um, he has this dream. He had this dream where he had kind of a high point of Jacob's life where God in this dream, in this vision, basically tells Jacob, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. you I, I'm not going to leave you. And Jacob responds in faith and worship back to God. And, and so that's kind of where we ended last week. 
And so today we're going to see, kind of continue on, this, how Jacob journeys and meets his family. Jacob will journey and meet his family. These, I'm going to go ahead and read in Genesis 29 the first 14 verses, and then we'll kind of re- un- unpack them. But it's kind of an interesting situation, scenario, as you'll see, some dialogue back and forth between Jacob and um, these shepherds he meets. But starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field. And behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and then put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, Well, we are from Haran. And he said to them, Well, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We do, we know him. He said to them, it is, is it well with him? They said, Well, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, being Jacob, Jacob said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. And now while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, they really want us to know that, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. I think a little bit more. There we go. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. All right, so we see... In these verses, hopefully you were able to hang, hang on through all of that. And, and just in case you didn't know, Laban is his mother's brother. Jacob's mother's brother. I said that a few times. But we see here that Jacob comes to this well, and there's a bunch of shepherds with their flocks around just kind of chilling out. Um, there's a big stone over the well. And the implications we get is that they're all kind of waiting to get a group of shepherds together large enough to where they can move this heavy stone out of the way. And so Jacob finds out that they know his uncle Laban, and so he's like, oh, awesome, cool. And they tell him, hey, actually his daughter's coming. And so Jacob looks out you know, across the field and sees her coming. And it's kind of interesting in there. You see him tell the shepherds, hey, it's not time for you guys to be here. Why don't you just water your sheep and get out? Get out. And kind of, he's trying to set up kind of this you know, one-on-one date with this potential suitor. Even though she's his cousin, but we won't get into that too much. Um, so we see the situation set up. Rachel comes while the shepherds are still there, and, and Joseph, as, as of course any macho man would do, says oh, to himself, okay, I'm going to just move this stone by myself. She, she's got a bunch of sheep, um, and I'm just going to do it. So he, he shows off his muscles, and you know, he moves the stone out of the way, waters the sheep, and then he, in kind of an emotional outburst, kisses her and is weeping aloud. I mean, it's just kind of a weird situation. I mean, Especially like a first, I mean, if you think back for husband, wives, like your first encounter with your spouse, like, you know, I don't know about love at first sight, if there is such a thing or not, but it probably wasn't like this. You probably didn't kiss them and start weeping 
at their feet or anything like Jacob's doing here. Maybe some of you men tried to show off your muscles in different ways or, you know, flex and things like that. I mean, we, we still have some of, some of those tendencies. But Jacob, obviously, he's, he's in this kind of emotional state, just overjoyed to finally meet this woman. And it turns out she's really pretty. So that helps him. You know, we'll find that out in a minute. And then she goes and tells Laban. Laban's overjoyed as well, and it's this big family reunion. It's just a happy family reunion. Jacob starts working for Laban, and then this is where it starts to get interesting. After a month of living with them, Jacob makes a deal and then is deceived. All right, Jacob makes a deal and then is deceived. So this section I'd like to refer to as the marriage manipulation. The marriage manipulation. So we see the deal at first, before the deception, the deal is in verses 15 through 20. It says this, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I, that I should give her to any other man, so stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. I mean, it just ends so sweet right there. I mean, Jacob orchestrates this deal for seven years. I mean, think of your like annual salary that you make times seven. That's a, probably a big number for a lot of us. I mean, seven years is a long time, no matter how much you make in just one year. Right, and I mean, obviously that's a lot of time, seven years, a, a big sacrifice. There was somewhat customary during that, those times for a, a, a future husband to pay the, the kind of father of his bride. And so that wasn't totally kind of crazy, but the amount and kind of the extent of this was. But for Jacob, as you see there in the verse 20, it seemed but as if a few days because he, he was just in la-la land and in love. All right, so we've got these two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Leah is, is kind of the, the, the not pretty one. She, you know, it says weak eyes, which sometimes back then was kind of a reference to just kind of unpleasant looking or whatever you want to say. Uh, ugly, I mean, you can just say that too. And, and Rachel was the pretty one. It was the pretty one. That's how they describe it. So we see here that this deal is made. Jacob and Rachel are set to be married after seven years. Will they live happily ever after? Not so much. We see the deception take place starting in verse 21. Let's read these few verses together. It says, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and went in to her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. I like how they put that there. And Jacob said to Laban, uh, What is this you have done to me? Uh, did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Laban said, Well, it's, it's just not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and uh, I guess we'll give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. 
So we see here the deception. The seven years is up. Jacob goes in to Laban. Hey, Uncle Laban, you told me you're going to give your daughter Rachel to me after seven years. It's seven, seven years up. Okay, so it's time. So Laban throws this big party, a week-long festivity back then of the weddings. And the night of the wedding, he sneaks Leah into Jacob instead of Rachel. And so Jacob wakes up in the morning somehow. We don't, we don't get any more details, which we don't need to know. But somehow he's confused and doesn't notice until the morning and wakes up and goes, uh, that's, the wrong, that's the wrong sister. Wow. Okay. You can imagine he's pretty ticked. All right. I mean, most of us would be pretty angry at that point. And so he, he goes to Laban and goes, what have you done to me? I, we, we had an agreement. And Laban brings up the excuse, well, you know, I've got to give the older before the younger. That's just what we do in our culture. And, Jacob, and it doesn't say Jacob's response there, but you can imagine him being like, yeah, that would have been nice to know seven years ago, right? I mean, that would have been nice for you to mention that back, back when I made this deal with you. But Laban tries to make it up by saying, okay, well, I mean, you've got my older daughter now. I'll, I'll just give you my younger daughter too if you commit to another seven years. So that's what ends up happening. Jacob ends up through this deception with two wives. And you notice Jacob who once was the deceiver, now is sowing or reaping some of those seeds that he sowed earlier by by deceiving his brother. Now he is on the receiving end of deception from his uncle. So he's got these two wives, and and I want to just spend a moment talking because this comes up, I think, throughout Genesis, throughout the Old Testament especially, this issue of polygamy or having multiple wives. You know, it, as we're seeing here, we, we know this is, these are God's chosen people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We've already seen kind of a mention of people having multiple wives um, in Genesis before. But why, why does God allow this? Why does God allow this? We know God's plan for marriage. We, we talk about that a lot around here. We, we've preached on different things. But Genesis 2.24, when God designed marriage, he designed it. Here, he says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, singular, and they shall become one flesh. And they shall become one flesh. The, throughout Scripture, when you, when you take a look at the whole of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, what Jesus said and then what Paul talked about in his letters, we know that one man and one woman coming together to be one flesh, that is what marriage is. Marriage is nothing else Besides that, marriage, we, we know in the New Testament, is kind of unveils the mystery of the gospel in some way by illustrating the relationship between Jesus and his church, the bride, his church being all believers and, and followers of him. And this relationship is, is illustrated beautifully by healthy marriages and marriages between one man and one woman. So if that's God's plan, and, and we are tracking with that, why does he not say anything when these things happen? It seems like he's pretty active in, in a lot of ways, right? I mean, we, we see him you know, giving Jacob a vision in the previous chapter. Um, we'll see him um, in a minute just involved in some of the details of, of these lives. But we have to be careful to, to never equate God's silence with his approval, God's silence in one area of scripture, especially in a narrative kind of book and genre here that we're reading through, just because he doesn't specifically condemn it or doesn't stop it, and even if it looks like he's blessing it, which it somewhat does, 
He, he certainly isn't, you know, putting a stop instantly to this. Doesn't mean that he is approving of it. Doesn't mean that he's approving. There's other, other topics, other kind of issues in the Bible, issue of slavery, um, other, other sexual immorality types of things that God, maybe at every time it's mentioned or someone's participating in it, doesn't condemn it or strike them dead or anything like that. He, he allows them to, to make a choice and then they suffer the consequences. They, they are, will reap what they sow. And we'll see, even in, in kind of a practical sense, the, the results of having multiple wives here for Jacob, it doesn't result in a lot of like good things. Uh, God ultimately does use it to fulfill his plan and purpose, but um, it's, it's a pretty big headache for Jacob for a while. All right, so, so we need to remember that marriage is one man, one woman, even when, when people say, oh, well, you know, I have multiple wives in the Bible, so I guess that's okay. No, just because something is in the Bible as a story, and, and it doesn't mean that it's okay. You, you look, you let scripture interpret scripture and, and look at the scripture as a whole, all right? And God, along those lines, is really the only person, the only being that can use sin in a sinless way because of his sovereignty, because of his kind of, his, his power, his control over all things, over all time. He uses sin in a sinless way as only he can. And we, we can be comforted by that. So Jacob has these two wives. We've, we've seen this marriage manipulation. Now we switch gears into the birthing battles. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? I mean, this, I mean it, it's seriously like a really good reality TV show here. The birthing battles. This starts in, we see in the next few verses in chapter 29 that Jacob's sons are born through deceit, jealousy, rivalry, and bartering. Now, you, if you remember, and if you, if you know, Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. So over these next few verses, we're just going to kind of skim through. We're going to see through this birthing battle how the 12 tribes come about. All right? And so maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't, but it, it's kind of interesting. We see in verse 31 of chapter 29, the Lord saw that Leah was hated. When he did this, he, he opened her womb, and, but Rachel was barren. We see this note here that kind of starts this going. Now, you know that this is... This is People that are unloved, people that are unwanted, the lonely, the hurt, as, as Leah probably was, as she was kind of, you know, the third wheel of the relationship, not really wanted, wanted by Jacob, her husband. Um, the Lord has a, has a heart for her and, and really ministers directly to her by giving her children, giving her children and opening her womb. Um, children obviously were kind of a, seen as a blessing, at that point, and, and are still are, still are. I didn't, didn't want to thank you for snickering. And uh, I didn't, children are still a blessing. Just some days they they're more of one than others. But we see here that Leah starts to have, have some children. We see in these verses you, I just highlighted where it says Leah conceived and bore a son, and then she conceived again and bore a son. And you can kind of skim through with me and see all of the in these next few verses. She goes through and, and kind of has a response to each one where, where she's really just desiring Jacob to, to love her, to accept her. And then she has her fourth son there at the end. And it says, this time I will praise the Lord. And so she finally, it seems, has kind of grown through this process of, well, I'm just going to seek the Lord's approval and just praise him. Um, and she had Judah, which 
and the, Judah's descendants, eventually Jesus came from that, King David and then Jesus. So some important sons that, that were born to her. But this, this it kind of ramps up here. We see in this birthing battle between Leah and Rachel right now, Leah has four sons. And I'm just going to kind of put it up on the screen as a, in a chart form because it is, gets wacky and confusing if you don't just keep it like this. I'm just, just to be honest. <laughs> so this is the start of this. And now you see Rachel is kind of feeling a little left out of God's plan of this whole thing. And she's, she gets ticked at Jacob. Like, Jacob, why, aren't, why am I not having any kids? Come on. Like, well, what's going on here? And so she, they get in a little marital spat in, verses, in the first part of chapter 30. They play the blame game to each other. And then in desperation, she's like, fine, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give you my servant and let her have some kids for me. I'm like, okay, well, that is, it's happened before in their family. So I guess it was just kind of the family thing. And, and we see that Rachel's servant, Bill Hall, comes into the picture here and has a couple of children by Jacob for Rachel in a weird way. We see there that now Rachel in verse eight kind of claims, claims victory a little prematurely, but, but she claims victory. She says, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed because her servant had two kids for her. So Rachel's head is obviously just not in a good spot. She's just, it, it's all this rivalry stuff going on, jealousy. Um, the next few verses, Leah says, okay, well, if you're using your servant to have babies, then I'm going to use my servant to have babies. And so Zilpah gets involved, and, and seven and eight sons, or Gad and Asher, they're born by Zilpah, and we're up to, to eight. All right, so uh, the birthing battle continues, and, and the numbers are just getting all sorts of weird. They're, so Leah's up to six now with her servant, and Rachel still hasn't had any kids, but her, so she's got two if you're keeping track. So we see in verse 14, it gets even, even stranger where Rachel's getting desperate. She's even getting more desperate at this point. So she goes to Reuben, who's one of Leah's sons, as you see there. He, I guess he was some sort of farmer or something at the point. He's a teenager at least as the oldest. And he has some things called mandrakes. Now these were, were fruits. They were kind of the sometimes called love apples. They were like fertility enhancement stuff that just women took to try to have babies. And that's what they were believed to, to help with that. So Rachel says, okay, I, I, I want to buy some of these from your son. So in, um, I don't have any money, so I'm going to trade you. You can, you can have Jacob for a few nights. Because evidently Rachel was in charge of Jacob's sleeping schedule and who he was going to have babies with at what time. Uh, it, it's just strange. So, so Leah goes, okay, fine. I'll, I'll go back to my husband and... and well, she, sure enough, has a couple more babies. And Issachar and Zebulun, not, numbers 9 and 10, are born after this. And then finally, I guess the love apples for Rachel worked, and she, she finally had a child, a son named Joseph, which we obviously will see later in the book of Genesis. And then, not specifically in chapter 30, but a few chapters later, Rachel does have another son, and his name is Benjamin. And here we have the 12 tribes of Israel. Through, through this weird sort of battle of, of wills and, and, and manipulation, jealousy, these sisters and their servants. And yet God still chose to kind of birth the nation of Israel this way. 
this way. So, so what do we do with a passage like this? What are, what are some things we, we can learn? What are some things we can do? Well, I think there's a few things. I think one of them is this, that God uses broken and sinful people to accomplish his purposes. Um, I, I, we mentioned this before, but I, I think it uh, begs to just be reminded about this. We should be relieved and challenged by this truth. And this isn't a pass for us to say, well, you know, good, I'm glad because I'm sinful, I'm gonna keep on sinning and I'm just gonna do it and let God figure stuff out and let him do his will. No, we, we, don't, we don't use it as an excuse to sin. That, that's a total misrepresentation and misunderstanding of the gospel. Another reason I think this should comfort us is, is because God saved these people. He chose these people in the Old Testament to be his chosen people, not because of how good they were, not because of how talented they were, not because of anything about them, but simply because he was good, because of how good he was. We, we see many times, and especially in this story today, characters' faults, just how messed up they are. We see that on full display, and yet God seems to continue to, to work in and through them. His grace his unmerited favor towards us, towards these biblical characters, it has nothing to do with with how good they are. It has everything to do with how good God is. And I think today on this side of the cross that we sit, after Jesus has, has died and lived a perfect life and died and rose again, we can see and even, even in a more complete way that God's grace has been poured out on us, not because of us earning anything, but because of everything that Christ has done for us on the cross. That's the beauty of the gospel, and we get to see glimpses of it throughout the Old Testament, um, even in our story today. And if you're here today, and maybe maybe this, you know, you're you're just visiting, or you're just checking out churches, you've never heard this story before, or know what the good news of Jesus really means, I would encourage you to just. Um, Check that box in the back of your connection card. You can download our app and, and fill out a connection card there. But I would encourage you to, to seek out some answers to maybe those questions that are starting to go through your mind. Um, it's the most important decision, the most important thing. It's really all that matters. And it has eternal consequences, really understanding what Jesus has done for you. The second application piece to this crazy um, chapter and a half of Genesis is that God keeps and fulfills his promises no matter what, no matter what. This is a good reminder for us because God did make a covenant with Abraham several years ago from the story in Jacob. Jacob's grandpa, Abraham, was chosen to, to kind of be this, this special group of people called by God. And God intended to keep his promise no matter what Abraham's descendants did to try to mess it up. God kept it. And when God promises something, he follows through. I mean, that's a, that's a good attribute. You know, you may know people, when they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. And I mean, you can appreciate that. It's something that God is, is really the author of. He follows through on his word and his promises. A couple of promises that I, I think we often should remind ourselves of is one of them is found in Matthew 7, 7. It's, verse says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. God listens and answers our prayers. That's a promise. That's a, that's a promise that we can, we can take to the bank. And I think we need to really 
just understand that in maybe a new way. We may know that intellectually. We've got to really understand and believe it. Another verse with a great promise of God is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful reminder there. And then God will give us rest in, in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Another great promise. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I know many, many of you, many, many of us here um, are, are tired. I mean, we, the month of May is um, a busy month. We, we're all going through different, different seasons of life, but you, you're, we're just exhausted emotionally, physically, spiritually, and this life can definitely get us worn down. So this promise by God is when we come to him that he will, he will give us rest is it, just something that we, we can't take for granted. We can't take for granted. So I want to encourage you to find ways just in the, your kind of the daily routines of life to remind yourself of the promises of God, whether that's put, put something on the, the background of your phone so that it, you see it every time you look at your phone, which I know for a lot of us is, is a lot during the day, uh, or the mirror in the morning, or, or maybe just, you know, Put some disciplines in your life where you, you listen to some music that really um, has some promises of, of God and, and, and speaks scripture into your life. Uh, those are some ways that we can remind ourselves and really believe God's promises and, and that he will keep them. And then lastly, I want us to just talk about this. Our actions have consequences, so we must choose wisely. We saw with Jacob that his actions, even years and years before, with his, his mother and his brother and, and that whole situation where he tricked his, his bro- older brother out of the birthright and all those things, they, they come back to haunt him. Um, we see even in the, in the story today the different actions and consequences of, of people with the marriage manipulation and the birthing battles. But our lives really are made up of a lot of choices, some big, some small. We, when we choose something, when we choose an action or an inaction, we also choose the consequence of that action or inaction, don't we? I mean, that's really um, a, a biblical principle that, that is laid out in Galatians 6, 7 and 9, which says, 7 through 9, which say, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And then in verse 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in a due season we will reap if we do not give up. So I think this is just a beautiful reminder, this this principle of sowing and reaping. We are so grateful for for the grace of God in our lives that that ultimately we, we don't have to sow lives full of sin and reap the eternal consequences of that separation from God. But through his grace, we, we, we can sow seeds of, of, uh, of the Spirit. We can exhibit different fruits of the Spirit, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit in our life, and, and have eternal life from that. We'll reap the rewards, as those verse said, verses said. I, I think this idea, you might be thinking, well, I mean, I get the idea. Our actions have consequences, like, I, I'm, I'm learning that. If you remember, as a child, this didn't come quite so easily, right? This is, we've got three young kids, 10, 7, and 5, and really I feel like my job as a parent is, is pretty much teaching this principle all of the time, that their actions have consequences. 
and they seem very forgetful about this principle all of the time. I mean, there's just so many examples of, of them, me telling them something, and this is what's going to happen when you do this. Please don't. They do it. They experience the consequence. And hopefully, eventually, they will, they will learn from it, right? Um, but also, there, there's the, the good, positive ones. And we try to teach our, our children how, how to understand this principle, not just on the negative side of things, but positively. When you, when you do make good choices, then you will reap the consequences or reap the rewards of those choices. And, and obviously we hope they learn that and desire that as they grow older and older. And, and you think about as we grow, as disciples and followers of Jesus, there's decisions that, and choices that we make each and every day that affect um, our lives. I mean, that's just really all there is to it. I mean, you made a choice to, to come here today. I mean, this is, you know, a busy, like I said, a busy time of year. It's a holiday weekend. You probably have a lot of projects and things at home that could use a few extra hours to do or you want, needed to sleep in or whatever, but you chose to be here. And that, that has a consequence or a reward for it, right? And, and hopefully by, by coming and being a part of the body of Christ, by, by hearing the word of God, by singing and just proclaiming truth with fellow believers, um, there, there are rewards, and, and basically God will, will give you um, blessing and be able to bestow his grace and mercy on you in, in greater ways, in greater ways that you experience. And it doesn't mean your life will be great and, oh, man, if I just worship God, I won't have any problems or challenges. No, that, that's not it. And we, we, we understand that as, as believers. We're still going to experience hurt and pain, but we know we, we want to experience God's grace and mercy through those things, and we can rest on his promises. So, so as we close today, I, I think just remember that we, we must be careful that we're not sowing seeds to our own flesh, as it said there in Galatians, that we, we sow seeds to the Spirit, to the Holy Spirit, by putting our faith and trust in Christ um, and letting, letting him use us um, by, by being intentional with the way we live. Let's pray together. Father, we, we are grateful for these these stories that uh, make us think, that make us grateful for your grace and mercy in our lives as you showed grace and mercy to, to these, peop- these people in the Bible, to the family of Abraham, um, Isaac, and Jacob, and their descendants. Um, we, we pray that um, we would learn from, from their mistakes, from their successes, God, and that we would um, just be all about honoring you and really living in your grace and mercy and allowing that to flow out of our lives to to reach others. God, we just are so grateful and it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.